This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME. Hello everyone and uh, welcome to the Desperately Seeking Distribution session. I want to welcome you here and wish you a very happy Women's Day. And uh, on Women's Day this morning I heard an amazing statistic. There are still more male CEOs in Australia called John than there are female CEOs. <laughs> so, but on the documentary front there's some fantastic news. Last year three women entered the top ten feature documentary at box office in Australia for the first time. There had been no women on that list and Embrace, Chasing Asylum and um, Chirpa all made it onto the top ten box office films, uh, documentaries in Australia, excluding IMAX. So that's a great result. Okay, so um, just clicking through to my presentation. Whoops. Um, sorry, guys. I'm Laurie Flexer. I actually am two people. I am the executive director of an organisation called Creative Content Australia, which um, helps people to uh, helps to raise awareness about the value of creative content, the value of copyright, and the impact that piracy has on um, the creative industries. I am also um, the executive director, I'm also the general manager of the MPDAA, which essentially is an industry association representing the major distributors in Australia. And in that role, I have access to a lot of box office information. And essentially that's what I'm bringing you here, some information about the box office performance of Australian documentaries at the Australian box office in cinemas. Obviously the panel are gonna to talk to you about a myriad of other ways in which you can monetize and get your films out to audiences. Um, but I'll look at box office and I'll also look at the impact of piracy because the other form of distribution is of course the illegal distribution of films via pirate sites and the impact that that has on your revenue streams. So, firstly, looking at um, the films that were produced last year, there were 43 Australian films released at the box office and, um, sorry, I'll just pull mine up here. Um, and of course, documentaries were 14 of those 43 films, representing 28% of the Australian releases, but representing 13.8% um, of the total box office. So not a great fit. Um, Australian box office here is, um, you can see a total of 609 films released last year in Australia, with a total box office of 1.25 million. Uh, billion. Uh, total Australian box films released 43, which is a total box office 26.6 million. They represented 7% of the releases, but only 1.9% of the total box office. Now, the, the little graph below shows all documentaries and live or special events, which are becoming quite big. So live and special events, which is opera, ballet, etc., represented 16% of the releases last year, but only 1% of the box office. Documentaries, 51 total, including the 14 Australians, 8% of the total releases, but only 1% of the total box office. So it's, it's a slim margin. Um, but here's the rub in cinemas these days with 609 films released. This is what's coming up in the next few weeks. Pretty much every week there are 10 films released, 9 to 10 films released, which means that when your film goes into a cinema, you have got 10 films coming up behind you on your bum waiting to be released. And some of those are big films with wide releases, and yours is likely to have a very limited release. Um, so it's just something to bear in mind. But of course the really good news is for Australian films, as I said, three Australian films entered the top ten grossing uh, documentaries of all time in Australia last year. All three were directed by women. Two of them made over a million dollars each, Sherpa and Embrace, and Chasing Asylum just under that. So it was a fantastic year for Australian documentaries. Here's the other part. 
Evidence shows that 25% of cinema-going opportunities occasions are lost to piracy, that twice out of every six cinema-going opportunities, people would not go to the cinema, they would have rather downloaded the film. Um, but two, sorry, two, two out of the six would have gone to the cinema if the download hadn't been available. So that's definitely an audience that you guys are losing. Um, here's some statistics from a recent, um, a recent uh, Australian films. They are Hexel Ridge, total downloads 11 million. Um, Dressmaker, 4.4, Mad Max Fury Road, 54 million. Now, if you look at that little, and Lime, which is still on in cinemas, 2.4 million illegal downloads. Now, downloads probably only represents half of the activity going on online because we can't measure streaming, and streaming accounts for, it, depending on what you read, anything between 50 and 75% of the illegal downloads. So what we're looking at really is a fraction of the downloads. And when you look at how many units Mad Max has sold in Australia compared to the illegal downloads, it's pretty terrifying. So Australian films are also impacted, there's no doubt. There's widespread illegal downloading, and it tends to start when the film becomes legally available either online or available on DVD and Blu-ray. The downloads are quite small while films are still in the cinemas. So it has nothing to do with availability. The films are absolutely available. Um, rather be taken. Here's some screenshots of Sherpa's downloads from Monday, two days ago, three days ago. Um, uh, over a thousand downloads happening at, on the day. Um, the box, box office is pretty good. It was released about a year ago, uh, 1.2. It is available on DVD. Uh, it was uh, last night I checked. It was available on Dendi Direct. You could buy it for $19 or you could rent it for $6. So uh, again, availability and price, not quite the option of the problem there. That sugar film has just been hugely downloaded. I mean, massive. These are stats from actually last year. I haven't just had a chance to update them. But again, rental at $5, um, but, uh, but the downloads are pretty high. Real problem for you guys, think about proportion of younger pirates is increasing. People, oh, sorry, I'm going forward on mine. Um, oh, I'm so sorry, God. Uh, that's the sugar film. Um, so that's the stats from Sherpa from a day ago. Just hundreds of links online. YouTube being the most takeable down, but all of the other sites, you cannot ask Pirate Bay to take your film down. It's just not possible. Um, that sugar film, hideous, hideous stats, um, and that was a year ago, and it's still going. So proportion of younger pirates increasing, real problem for you. We're breeding a generation of digital natives who do not believe that they need to pay for content. And in fact, between 2014 and 2016, their activity doubled, despite the fact that we are growing um, the number of legal channels for documentaries and for all films. Um, and just a quick stat there, pirates do have higher incomes than non-pirates. It has nothing to do with money. This is global research, but um, the local research is pretty much the same. Um, most people agree that they pirate because it's free. Um, both adults at 68% and 12 to 17 year olds at 81% say it's the major reason they pirate. And that's me. I, I urge you to remember that it's all of our roles and responsibilities to, to deal with piracy and to actually encourage our friends and families not to do it, to think before they click, because this is an activity that will actually affect your, the revenue from your films. So thank you very much, and I'll be around later if anyone has any questions.
Good morning. Um, I would like to welcome you to this morning's panel session called Desperately Seeking Distribution, Alternative Pathways to an Infinite Audience. Uh, before we get started, I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners on the land on which we are meeting, and I pay my respects to their elders past, present, and to other elders from other communities who are here with us today. Uh, my name is Christy Matheson. I'm the senior film programmer here at ACME, and um, this is a very uh, deep dive um, into two projects that um, uh, are alternatively distributed. So I guess to frame the discussion, the fast-changing evolution of the distribution landscape is um, an unnerving issue facing all sectors of the screen industry. Um, but with this session, what we are going to try and do is look at the lessons of two very different productions, the web series Black As by David Batty, who's here with us today, and the feature documentary Chasing Asylum. And we're going to look at the case studies of both of these films to look at um, how we can turn this challenge into an opportunity. So we have uh, a limited uh, time with you all here today. So um, what we're going to do is start with two presentations from each of these productions, just to give you a sense of how these were rolled out, the kind of numbers that we're looking at, and different, um, different ways to look at how we may release uh, films. After that, we will be um, talking a little about identifying audiences, how we build communities, um, we'd like to have a little bit of a discussion about crowdfunding, and then look at some key learnings. Uh, we hopefully will have time for questions, but if we don't um, in this session, then the panel members will be over um, in the delegate uh, cafeteria area afterwards, so I'd welcome you to continue this conversation. So should we just jump right in? Um, the first speaker that we have um, today is Ella McNeil, who is an experienced arts manager and human rights advocate who has worked extensively in Australia and around the world for the not profit sector and also some of the most prestigious arts organisations, including the Royal Shakespeare Company and the Lincoln Centre. From 2012 to 2015, Ella was the festival director and CEO of the Human Rights Arts and Film Festival. And in 2016, Ella worked with uh, Robert Connolly at Arena Media on the distribution and strategy for Eva Orner's film, Chasing Asylum. Um, Ella, would you please uh, Thanks, take Christine. us away? Hi, everybody. It's great to be here. Um, I guess um, I'm assuming that you are familiar with the project um, and the film. Um, we've put together a quick slideshow which we'll kick off in a second and I will apologise now just because we don't have very long to go through the slide and I certainly uh, have put a lot of information here. So I also forgot to animate the bullet points so there's a lot of text. Uh, feel free to come up and talk to me about any of these points. I wanted to give you a quick overview really about the strategy behind our release. Um, hopefully it's of interest. A few more facts about the film directed and produced by Eva Orner and released by Robert Connolly's uh, distribution company Cinema Plus. It was privately financed, didn't receive state or federal funding, Eva raised the funds through uh, philanthropy and foundations to kick it off, over a million dollars was raised. Um, and premiered in 2016 in April at Hot Docs before being released in May in Australia. So some of the quick statistics, box office, you'll see on Laurie's slideshow, I think it's noted as 560,000. To date, it's about just over 600,000 in Australia and New Zealand as the box office figures. Victoria and New South Wales certainly played uh, a large part of, of that income. Um, it screened on 110 screens with 41 sold out Q&As. We really uh, put Eva through, uh, through the tour as much as we could to get her out everywhere we could. I had about 80 theatrical and 60 non-theatrical tug screenings so that's something I'll go into detail in a minute. And I'll use the word tug and demand film interchangeably. They're the same platform. It just changed names during it. Um, and those, those tug screens were in 55 different locations. It won the 2016 Actor Award for Best Feature Length Documentary um, and had a P&A budget of around $150,000, uh, which was made up of some money from the production, film production budget, some money invested by Cinema Plus um, and other grant um, and foundation money that helped with the Take Action campaign, education and the premiere screenings. And again, really important as we went through the planning stages when that money was available, uh, I guess helped us have a $150,000 budget, which isn't that big, um, but important uh, to have the impact that we wanted to. 
So quickly on positioning, this was something we thought a lot about in the planning stages. Just so you know, I was uh, working on the film full time from January to, to the end of July, and I'll mainly speak about, I guess, that period of the release. After that was more of the online and VOD release. That's been an ongoing process that I wasn't as much in, uh, involved in. But in terms of our objective, positioning was really important. Uh, overall, of course, like all films, we wanted as many people to see it. We wanted people to be inspired to take action. And ultimately, we wanted to be part of the change. We had, you know, a big pie-in-the-sky goal. We wanted to close the camps. Um, so those were kind of the overall objectives. Um, in terms of our positioning objective, in terms of quality, we want it to be uh, positioned as a must-see, incredible piece of Australian documentary filmmaking. I think that's really important for human rights films, that they're not... Of course, they're important films and these subjects are important, but importantly, they're uh, incredible pieces, masterpieces of cinema. And so pushing that quality aspect was really important, obviously using things like Academy Award-winning producer and, and other uh, comms strategies. Legalities, legalities of the film content, the footage that was obtained, as well as the whistleblowing laws that some of the subjects in the film were up against. There was a lot of legal ramifications, potentially, of the film, so positioning it and our release strategy was... Uh, the goal was to really uh, make it soundproof and bulletproof for, from a legal perspective, so that formed part of why we did what we did. Um, and our audience positioning it so we could reach our core audience as well as reach the non-converted, those people sitting on the fence. Um, in terms of our premiere, our, our overall objective was to generate word of mouth through the Q&As, then for the next phases of the release, which would then be the uh, theatrical, which I've just missed the bullet point there, of um, getting it on as many screens as possible. Yeah, so it's just on the same slide. Um, and then a few other ob objectives being um, the tug demand film release, uh, really just getting out to new audiences um, and to remote locations that wouldn't see it in the theatre was our main objective. A take action campaign, having impact um, and, you know, normal marketing um, objectives and partnerships, really connecting with as many local and cultural organisations as possible for promotion, positioning and the legal, legal ramifications. So to do that, our strategy was to have three phases. First phase being a premiere tour, special events Q&A, second phase being a theatrical, third being hosting your own screenings, so really grassroots distribution distribution approach, uh, followed by um, on-demand education. And underlying all of those phases was the Take Action campaign to really inspire people to action. Understanding our audience was key throughout this whole process, um, identifying who they would be and actually uh, thinking about how we're going to reach them. So thinking about our primary and our secondary audience, those primary audience being the converted, um, those activists that are already working in the uh, refugee service and advocacy space, as well as then another set of, you know, probably 20 to 45-year-olds that are um, progressive thinkers, that are already empathetic to the cause. We needed those core audience members to get behind the film. They would love it, they're already interested in it. But to then reach our secondary audience of those on the fence, those that could be swayed and therefore be the ones to, to really make a difference because they're not already active in the space. As well as probably another secondary audience of film lovers and art lovers. So people that aren't interested to see the film because of refugee rights, but to want to see the film because it's by an Academy Award winning, it's a must see a piece of Australian documentary filmmaking. And just on that, reaching the segments of reaching these people, it's hard. Um, we used key selling points that it's uh, footy, uh, access to footage you'll never see, um, the film that the Australian uh, government doesn't want you to see, it's by an Academy Award winning uh, director, all those kind of things. We also had the book release at the same time, so HarperCollins released Eva's book. Again, sorry, I'm really skipping through this quite quickly. And then evaluating our success of reaching our audience. It's very hard. Um, we looked at screening locations, the coverage we got in the press, the conversations and statistics online, who's talking about it, what's their demographics, um, and any influence we can have on the issue. So quickly move. Oh, I might have turned it off. There we go. Just a few key points of our marketing marketing and social media campaign. We had the trailer, we dropped that on the project, which was quite um, a strategic decision and quite powerful for the trailer drop. Press keep, 
our standard marketing campaign. We didn't have a huge budget. We had limited online advertising, uh, printed collateral, that kind of thing. A fantastic widespread PR campaign by Asher Homes Publicity plus Playmaker Digital on the social media campaign. So just thinking about all the kind of uh, people working on this one film, I was full-time. Obviously, Asher Holmes and Playmaker have different um, projects, but a lot of people getting the film out there for those uh, six to nine months. And an e-newsletter, um, it's small, but it's direct and powerful. We just very easily, through MailChimp, made a site so people could sign up so that we could get their direct emails. And that's just powerful, again, building audiences, small uh, segments that might host a screening. That could be another two, 300 people that see the film that might not have if they hadn't signed up. So through a website portal, through ticket buyers, that kind of thing. So something really easy to set up and you won't use that data kind of probably again in the future unless they agree to it, but it's just handy to have it alongside. So just to drill down into those phases, the first being the premiere tour, phase one, the world premiere being at Hot Docs um, kind of came out as we were planning it. Uh, was a good launch point, but really was focusing on where we're going to launch in Australia. Premiered it um, around the country in really quick succession, and timing certainly was a great consideration. Uh, and trying to get it as many cities as possible uh, limited to then drive people to the cinema when it was released and having Eva there for Q&As to provide context, dialogue, conversation around the topic and really going on Rob Connolly's approach to special event screenings. It's really something, a direction that he's moving into um, and seeing that uh, the excitement of driving people to a special event uh, uh, rather than just expecting them to go to the cinema um, we just can't rely on that anymore. And we also kept the ticket prices low, which was worth noting. Uh, even with the Q&A, tickets were still around $20, $25. Partnerships were integral to this release, and certainly a huge portion of my time was taken uh, creating those partnerships, developing those relationships with the, especially the uh, refugee sector, uh, as well as human rights organisations and other arts partners. So again, going back to positioning, we partnered with, as much as possible, one key arts organisation and one key human rights organisation in each city. So again, that's providing uh, access to audiences, positioning the film as um, both an important and validated human rights piece of work, as well as being um, a strong arts event. So partners like the Adelaide Film Festival, the Sydney Writers Festival, where Eva was speaking with some of our partners, as well as having Human Rights Watch, the ASRC, Amnesty International, those kind of partners. So it takes a lot of work, um, but it creates audiences, helps with logistics. Um, they gave us great moderators. So uh, having that influence, those moderators then being able to reach out to their uh, audiences was really important. And again, um, I guess fundraising is a, is a great part of that because the reason we had a lot of success is because those, par those partners and refugee organisations were able to use the film, not only to raise some money, but also use it as an example of why their work is so important. So this film shows you why it's so important to be having these advocacy and service organisations supporting uh, asylum seekers um, that are in Madison, Nauru, but also people that have um, arrived in Australia and don't have support. So the film actually gave them a great opportunity. So hence we have something, I guess, to offer them in return for their support. Logistics just not to underestimate, underestimate how much work it takes to put on a screening. Um, and having the right people to work on a film, I came from more of a human rights screening event background, and that's why I kind of I was a good fit for Rob, in that um, being able to deliver screenings was, I, was what I knew how to do, and that's, that was a huge part of making this a success. I don't have much more time, so I'll quickly just say then the next phase was the theatrical consideration and negotiation with cinemas, which ones, where, you know, which cinemas we're going to go to, um, obviously is uh, very important and not to underestimate the support from Cinema Nova in Melbourne um, was uh, not to single them out, but um, it really drove a lot of our box office revenue. They were very passionate about the topic, so we're very supportive of the film, so that was important. Again, partners, so I guess the main point of this slide is just to really say that first week of the theatrical, what mattered was numbers through the door. The public don't realise that if a film is re released theatrically that it won't be, be there for three weeks. They can't just go and see it in a month because now it's out. Unless they see it in the first week, it might not play in the second week because no one's there. So 
I took a bit of a uh, musical theatre approach and we said one week only. It's at the cinemas for one week, it's a special event and tried to really drive people in that first week to bring up the box office so that the cinemas would keep playing it. It, it ended up at Nova for... Oh, a long time, 12, 13 weeks, 15 weeks, thanks Chloe. Um, and other cinemas, you know, it kept it on because people went and our partnerships, so we were able to offer the film, um, it certainly wasn't revenue raising for us, but for group ticket pricing, Amnesty or um, I Came By Boat campaign could uh, use the film to fundraise. So they sold it out time and time again. The Refugee Legal Centre did three sold out screenings in Melbourne, which helped our box office, which in time helps us. Um, but yeah, really drives the people in that first week. This third phase then being the grassroots distribution um, approach, getting the film out to uh, over 55 regional locations, reaching new audiences uh, and really reaching people that would be willing to host passionate converted audiences that would then bring their communities that might not have gone otherwise. Um, we were able to promote those tug screenings and we reached places like Ipswich and Toowoomba and Mildura and places that just, we just wouldn't have seen the film otherwise. That's just the TUG website. So that's really the main kind of part of the strategy. I won't have time to go through all this. I might quickly skip it, I'm sorry. Um, the last, I guess, other really main part of it is this Take Action campaign. We were able to access some foundation money to support it. Um, that covered some of my time so I could work on the campaign full time. You know, some, sometimes staffing is not attractive, but it's what you need to, to get things done. Um, it really was another measure of our success of the release. Provide a way for people to actually take tangible action, have the tools and kind of uh, give people opportunities at different levels, at, at different capacities to do what they're, what they're able to do. Relationships were key. We wanted to present a unified ask of our audience. There are lots of things you can do, but could we channel that energy into something powerful, into one ask? Um, so liaising with the sector about what that might be, it can be disjointed in terms of people doing a lot of powerful, amazing work. What are we asking them? Um, and how to measure that. I might not go into that because everyone knows it's so hard <laughs> to measure impact. But we had ways of into locations and testimonials or those kinds of, kinds of things. So I guess I'll have to wrap up there. Um, the release after um, On Demand, um, we partnered with Mad Men for, um, for us it was strategic in terms of using their contacts and their influence and um, to be able to do that. But I, I guess I will just point out that even after all this, even after being one of the top three um, box offices successes in documentary in 2016, um, even winning the actor, it's, it was pitched to all the acquisition departments of SBS, ABC, um, and it still wasn't picked up. So I think that's just worth noting, which is surprising, I think. Um, but, I, you know, for whatever reasoning... There is, I think one of it was that the issue has been covered in the media enough and I think that um, is, a, is a shame because the issue obviously is still relevant and um, it still has a life and, is, and still has a place and can, is, is a success story but uh, isn't available now for, for that wide distribution. It still has a life, it has a strong education program um, and through international sales and uh, maybe some other streaming later on, it will still have a life. Um, but yeah, that's, I guess I'll have, just have to wrap up there. So come and see me afterwards if any of those points were <laughs> of interest. Thank you so much, Ella. As you can see, there is so much to putting together um, an alternative theatrical release. Um, and so now we're going to jump straight into an alternative broadcast model, um, looking at the web series Black As. So just uh, very quick bios for both Jenny and David. Uh, Jenny has worked with some of the country's most respected documentary filmmakers and, um, and nurtured many emerging talents, both as a producer and during her time as an investment manager for documentary at Film Victoria. Uh, Jenny has produced over 30 hours of broadcast content, including series such as the iconic Bush Mechanics with her work at Rebel Films. And David's career spans 34 years of writing, producing, directing and shooting documentaries. Uh, seven TV series, five one hours and over 200 short form documentaries. It's no small feat. Um, David, of course, has a long history making programs with and for a 
Aboriginal people beginning in Alice Springs in 1982, where he established the television production unit at the Central Australian Aboriginal Media Association. Uh, their bios are very impressive and much longer, but we will um, cut it short so that we can see their presentation on their web series, uh, Black As. Thank you. Um, yeah, uh, day. Look, I'll just uh, kick this off. Just to sort of frame it, and then I'll sort of pass it over to Jen because she's done most of the work on the, um, on the presentation. But um, just to sort of frame where this came from and what our, what our motivation was to go about things the way we did, um, I was approached by these guys in Arnhem Land to make a show, something along the lines of bush mechanics, I, I guess. So um, uh, from the outset, from meeting the guys, and I put it to them, I, I could see they were good, uh, that there'd be something in this and potentially something that could do really well. Um, they were great um, talent. They had all the things that I thought would, would make a good show. So um, from the outset, I was really determined, like like a lot of the filmmakers in this room, we all know this journey of, of going through the funding agencies and broadcasters and knocking on doors and cap in hand and you know all that stuff. And I was just absolutely fed up with it, to tell you the honest truth. And uh, so I decided that we, we sort of try to be a bit more autonomous and sort of go outside those traditional funding models and, and outside broadcasters. And, and uh, this was like about three years ago now. So at that time, it was a bit more... Um, the online uh, journey and, the, and distributing things online was still kind of fairly new. And, uh, and I'd sort of equipped myself in, in uh, becoming knowledgeable about all those avenues and those ways to go about stuff. And I was actually quite excited about trying to take a project down that road. So um, we self-funded. So completely outside of any funding agencies, we didn't even approach anyone, we didn't tell anyone. We just kind of more or less just kind of did our own thing. And um, so I made three pilots. Um, some of you may have been uh, at AIDC three years ago in Adelaide, uh, where I launched the uh, Black As series with these pilots and at the same time launched a crowdfunding campaign. And my intention really at that point was to um, just whatever money we raised from the crowdfunding campaign, and our target was $70,000, whatever we raised from that, we just, I'd go up with my camera and I'd hang out with the boys and we'd make a show and we'd put it on the internet and we'd just see how it, see how it went, you know. <laughs> as simple as that. And um, if it didn't make any money, whatever, you know. And uh, so that's what we did. But so in Adelaide at the AIDC, when we launched the, um, showed these three uh, pilots um, and launched the crowdfunding campaign, it just got this immediate interest in it and everyone was just really backed it and, and almost from day one we just got a lot of interest from broadcasters and all kinds of people and, just, and, and uh, production companies and stuff like that. So we knew we were on a winner. And um, so we ran a 30-day campaign with the crowdfunding and we reached our target which uh, 70,000, which uh, didn't mean that we actually got 70,000 in our pocket, but that's a whole other story. Um, but... Uh, and that sort of kicked us off. And at that time, we got 300,000 people watched the, watched the pilots. And at that time, we thought, wow, this is incredible. 300,000 people, like, we're, we're on fire. But uh, in actual fact, it's sort of, uh, as Jen will reveal, it's now gone up. We did a tally just a two days ago. Of, we went through all the different um, people who watched it on, on, um, on uh, Facebook. And uh, it's up to um, 75 million people across the world that have uh, now watched Black As for more than, um, average viewing time is about a minute, I think. Um, so that's really, uh, uh, we're just completely blown away by that. But um, I'll get, take, hand it over to Jen, who sort of came on board with this project officially when she left Film Victoria uh, in July. Yeah. Thanks, David. And um, I mean, once it was picked up, and the, the, excuse me, the, the decision was made to release on iview we also had the problem of well not the problem but the issue of how to drive an audience to iview just whacking it on iview without a free-to-air television broadcast doesn't mean that anyone's actually going to find it or watch it so we were very conscious of that because we also knew through the um the metrics of uh, the crowdfunding campaign and the Facebook metrics that we had at that time, that our audience was uh, predominantly young male, um, pretty much 18 to 
35, and they're not your traditional ABC iView audience. So um, uh, also the iView release was uh, over five weeks. So we had the advantage, I guess, that it was a, a staggered release, five episodes per week for, you know, for, for five weeks. So we used that time basically to um, every single thing that we did, which was basically all driven through Facebook, was about driving uh, the Facebook audience to iView or at least encouraging them to find iView and watch it. Um, it was quite interesting. There's, I don't think there's anyone from the ABC here, but they might actually want to spend some money you know, promoting iView to young people so that they know what it is because, uh, well, it's just really fascinating that you know, so many people were kind of like, what's iView? You know, like, so we did a lot of work for the ABC during that time. <laughs> um, when we started, we had just over 3,000 likes. Uh, as I said, predominantly male audience. M many were already pre-existing fans of Bush Mechanics, so they kind of, you know, were hungry for more. And most people weren't watching content on iView. So um, this is about four weeks into the release, and this is kind of the tipping point, I guess, for us, where, you know, I should say too, we had a hell of a lot of content. David, uh, as well as the series, David had shot lots of little, um, all different types of um, uh, grabs and short, you know, funny skits and what have you that we were using throughout. Uh, and, and content is, is, is king, as they say. You know, you don't get any kind of traction. Uh, or you don't get anywhere near the same kind of traction on Facebook if you don't have the content. So at this stage... You know, we can see that um, you know most people are watching on mobile devices. 88%. Our reach in that week, 29th of July to the 4th of August, is uh, you know over two million. Um, page likes are up to 9,000. So we started with three. We're up to 9,000 four weeks in, and then we cracked a mill. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you kind of get a bit... We were doing all of this ourselves as well. This is uh, the opposite to Ella's fabulous strategy. We kind of didn't have a strategy other than, you know, it was, it was we were making it up as we went. It was strategy on the run. But we... Exploring the space. Yeah, we wanted to do that. I mean, this is the thing. It's, uh, you know, there were pros and cons. We, we definitely could have done with some more expertise at certain points, absolutely for sure. But, I mean, it was also an incredible opportunity to, you know, um, investigate this space and find out for ourselves what we could do and, and, and how it worked. And the other thing is, too, with the, the, the kind of content and the kind of audience that we had, which was um, young men, I mean, David was really the best, even though he's not young... <laughs> the best place, no, not in that same age group, I should say. But, I mean, it was very blokey and it was about cars and it was about being in the bush and all those things, which is, you know, that's kind of David. So he was a good person to be that, that interface, I think. And um, and I think, you know, you'd agree that... You, I like being an interface. You, yeah, and you were happy to do that. So this is uh, this is the first clip that we had that, as I said, that, that cracked a million views, which we kind of got terribly excited about. And it's I guess, too, with all these numbers, I, I wanted to show, you know, what that looks like, what that means. So a million views is, um, you know, 1.6 million minutes viewed. Uh, um, 10 second views, 1.2 million, but then, you know, the average video watch time is 54 seconds, which I actually think is a pretty good, um, it is actually a very good retention rate um, for something like Facebook, so... Well, that clip, it's not that much longer than a minute anyway, so... No, I mean, no. Yeah, um, average view time is like the whole clip. Yeah, so after this, we were kind of going, well, boy, if we can get, you know, people watching, you know, if we can reach a million, a million views, you know, what about ABC Indigenous? So we had a conversation with them and the previous week they'd released something that was also kind of doing well, but we really kind of put the pressure on a bit to kind of go, come on, guys, you know, you've got, the, you've got way bigger reach than us. How about you put some more you know, content out, and uh, and they did. 
So on the ABC Indigenous Facebook page, uh, this clip got 20 million views. Uh, and you get 20 million views by 243, nearly 244,000 people sharing your content, um, which is pretty amazing, I think. Uh, and that clip alone had 46,000 comments. So that's the kind of scale that um, I guess it took off on. Thankfully, we weren't, we weren't having to respond to 46,000 comments, but the, the team at ABC Indigenous, um, Margie and uh, Rowley, I think it is, they, they, you know, they, they were very busy over the next week or so. And look, we've had you know, numerous conversations with them since. And I mean, they don't know why this went, we don't know why, nobody knows why things go viral. They don't know either. It's you know, um, but it did, and I mean, obviously, you know, the content has uh, something to do with it. It's this is you know, it's it's unusual, it's distinctive, um, and funnily enough, uh, an aspect of of black as that has always been a bit of a limitation in um, us reaching other audiences because it's subtitled on Facebook. That played to our advantage because so much content is played on you know just in a feed and and silently it was already subtitled as it didn't really matter that these guys were speaking in language um and then when people um we've also i've also got you know other um statistics that show how many people watched it silent and then you know, actually push play and listen to it. And quite a lot, a surprisingly amount of people clicked through and listened to the, the whole clip, which is great. Um, this is something that also happens. It's kind of, uh, oh, it's, it's kind of piracy, <laughs> a form of piracy. But this, you know, if, if stuff goes viral, this is what happens. Other people rip off your content. Um, this Not Bad TV is uh, based in the Ukraine. Um, David had a few interesting email exchanges with them. Yeah, I sort of, we, I've sort of got to this. I got in touch with these people actually, and they turned out to be sort of not bad. And I said, look, you know, um, uh, look, I don't mind you sort of using this stuff, but you know, at least give us a credit or, or you know. And they turned out to be quite nice people, and uh, as opposed to the um, this uh, a few of the others that I dealt with that just didn't respond. But but uh, these guys, I sent them, a, I sent them the promo that would direct it to our our web our black web series um, Facebook page and, and, and the, our kind of that whole network of stuff and, and they did and they put that up then they flogged our promo like uh, a lot you know so they were actually this mob weren't too bad yeah um, the polls didn't oh. do a very <laughs> that one, they weren't very much help yeah. um, but at least I guess nine million they got nine million views in Polish which is uh, interesting <laughs> Um, there's also there was another US site um, that's running at about 12 million, um, and then what happens with uh, a lot of the comments that we kind of started getting? We we experimented with um, with different regions, and I mean it was actually really I mean that that's the power of kind of of doing things like this too is that. Yeah, you can. T yeah, you talk yeah, about these. Yeah, well, I sort of had the idea that because um, it wasn't available on YouTube for free, so I, I kind of thought we, as an experiment, we I didn't want to put it in on YouTube in English because then it would just go, and we already got it on a VOD site on VHX, which we might get to if we got time. Um, but I thought, look, just as an experiment, I'll, I'll make a Facebook site based, because on Facebook is just this incredible machine. And um, so I made it, I based it in Mexico City, because we'd actually had a lot of response, quite looking at the figures and the numbers and the and territories that people had been watching Black Gaz, and there was a lot of interest in South America. So um, I thought, well, look, why don't we just make it for free in South America only and, and put a, a Facebook site based out in Mexico City and then just kind of target all the South American Spanish-speaking Spanish countries and, and make black ads with Spanish subtitles. Um, so we, we did that and I was going to follow it on and do German and Japanese. <laughs> but I sort of, you know, I kind of, um, you know, didn't have the time. But... Um, so we did this and we put it out there and uh, made a, a, a Japanese, a, a, um, a Spanish um, uh, uh, YouTube 
site so people could actually go and watch it for nothing on YouTube. Just, just to sort of try to get a few bucks from, um, and see how we went revenue-wise with YouTube and stuff, which uh, to this day we still haven't seen a cent really because we can't quite work out this next leap where we actually get, get the money back. But uh, anyway. <laughs> Which, um, you know, which is obviously a very, um, you know, this is what people really want to know is how do you monetize this? Um, and um, so, yeah, I might get you to talk a little bit about how that's worked in the online space. Not very well. He <laughs> owes us money, basically. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 75 million views. Oh, you want to get to that last? Uh, yeah, this is not that exciting. But this is kind of what our audience looks like, I guess. 83% men, 17% women. Well, actually, what, what we were finding towards the end of the campaign is that more and more women were watching. And um, we started to, uh, you know, in the early stages, we were, uh, we were targeting men. And then towards the end, we just we, we targeted both men and women. And we were finding more and more women were watching, which is good. The, the iView numbers, um, uh, like, they were sort of really wrapped with about 50,000 views on iView. Um, 100,000 watches on iView is like um, they're just over the moon with that. Um, in October, which halfway through now, they've run it since um, the 4th of July right through to now, that's eight months. Four months into it, which is October, that's the, uh, last, that's the only figures that we've, that's the latest figures that we've got, and the ABC um, uh, haven't uh, provided us with any more figures after October, and at that point it was 720,000 views on iView. So we're estimating now, it's a sort of a, a not so much a take-up, it must be around about a million views on, on iView, which puts it right up there in terms of an iView audience and mm. something that didn't go to air, which is... So mm. we were then allowed to, through our licensing, to, to do whatever we wanted basically with it overseas and we'll sort of restrict it a bit more in Australia. So we put it on this um, VHX platform. It's a VOD platform based in New York. Um, there's really nothing else like it that we could find in Australia. Um, and with VHX, I encourage anyone who's an uh, independent filmmaker who's got a product to, to get involved with this mob. They're, they're, um, uh, it's a great platform and that's, that's where we thought we would um, actually make a lot of money back and, and be able to give because the boys are co-owners of this project in Arnhem Land, the Black Goes Boys. So we thought we'd get them some money back and they could at least buy a new outboard for their, for their dinghy or, or whatever. And, uh, uh, but unfortunately, um, people don't like paying for stuff on the internet. So it's up there on VHX. You can buy it in all different ways, in separate episodes or in lots of five episodes or the whole series and, or a special package where you get all the behind-the-scenes stuff and the clips and, and all this other stuff with it. Um, but people, people are buying it. They, they but, are slowly. But obviously, like, we were, you know, we kind of thought, wow, for a hundred thousand people. We, we yeah. get an alert when you get a sale on your on the email, which is really neat. Yesterday, we had three sales, yeah. and uh, so it trickles along like that, you know. So but, you know, we were hoping for kind of like a hundred thousand sales. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, we are running out of time rapidly, um, which is such a shame because they're. Both of these projects are very uh, different models, but they share a lot of um, similarities. And really, that similarity is the fact that the content creators and the people who are working um, with producers are doing a lot of hands-on work, be that with social media, with your crowdfunding. Um, so releases, I imagine, are taking quite a lot of time for you as filmmakers. So really, with just a few minutes to go. We have time for uh, one question, if we have a question, and we will take that first lady up the back, please. That Black Ass series, it's amazing. It's incredible. And the, the skew and the like, comedic timing and everything in it, it appeals to everyone worldwide. And because you've subtitled it, you know, that's got, it's got vast potential. So have you gone down that track dealing with a distribution company that you trust for those kind of rights, which do attract really good fees. I think the bottom, you hit the nail on the head and that was trust. And uh, I'm afraid our experiences with, with distributors, I've lost all trust, basically. We're owed money by distributors for other films and projects and stuff. And that's what, really why I was so keen to just distribute this ourselves and go with someone like VHX, because we just get the money in the, in the End of the At month. the end of the month, money just goes straight into the bank and, and they take like 10% or something like that. But I hear definitely what you're saying. I mean, I'd be very interested in talking. It, um, I tried with Australian distributors um, and, they, and they were, oh, 
you know, short form, it's uh, subtitled, it's, you know, like they, yeah, it wasn't, no, I didn't get any interest within Australia. We were speaking to some people in the US and they were really hot to trot and until we realised that their business model was like, we pay them $50,000 and they'll take it to the market. It's like, right, okay. I mean, I guess it's a, it's a tricky format because it yeah. is short form. Mm. Um, and look, just just to wrap up, we, like I said, um, we will head to the um, delegates area after this and please, there are so many uh, questions that come out of this, but uh, can we just get the sort of the biggest key learning from Ella, from you and, and from you guys just on after this process? I guess... Um just on the monetization, I was just going to point out that even for Rob, this really was a, a passion project. It wasn't something that made him money and was something that probably just broke even. You've got investors to, to give back to as well. So just to make a point that even as the distributor, you just cared about the issue. Um, some of the other learnings, just the how valuable the partnerships were and how much time that takes and it was integral to the whole release. Um, and also, I guess, the... Um, uh, yeah, I guess the partnerships and um, how much time that all takes was just, yeah, I guess a huge learning. Um, just on the money side too, like for me personally, it wasn't all about making money out of the whole thing. I, it was just, I just really wanted to get these guys' project out there. I wanted to get their, their, uh, a window into their world. I, there's all the things that comes from Black As, which is multi-layered, and I could talk for a whole day about, about the positive aspects of it and what's come out of it, and, and so many comments that I've had. And I mean, it's just been such a, a, a really beautiful experience to, to um, be responding to so many comments and things like that. The, to, we're only really trying to make some money out of it to get money back that we sort of put into it, which we still haven't broken even. And as I said before, just to raise a bit of dough, if we had made a bit of excess to give it to the boys so they, they could have a little bit of cash as well. But um, uh, the other thing too that I like to say is it was just the most amazing, satisfying experience to, to be, to be autonomous, to, and, autonomous, and controlling it yourself, like... Like and to engage it. with your and public, exploring this whole space. Was, yeah, the ability to, um, you know, have a relationship with the audience is is incredible. Um, but also, it's very, you know, it's, it's very powerful tools, um, and and that's great. I mean, usually you deliver to the broadcaster. If you're lucky, they tell you when it's going on air. If you're luckier, they tell you how it rated, um, and that's it. You know, you've you've got very little. You you, you you get no publicity. I mean, this was incredibly labour intensive and definitely a labour of love. And I don't know whether it's you know I don't. Uh, we, we would approach. We you know we're going into a second series and 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 we'll approach a few things differently. But at the end of the day, we'll, we will probably still end up doing a lot of that work ourselves. I'd say. I just wanted to probably point out as well, in terms of the lessons of using a model like Tug in terms of grassroots distribution, that was a learning process as we went. Uh, Arena had never used it as such an integral part of the release. Um, it was highly effective. Um, how effective it would be for um, a documentary that doesn't have a social cause attached to it, I'm not sure. Um, but that was a certainly huge learning process as we went and able to connect with all these local individuals that were hosting 200, 300 seat screenings and selling them out was another really key. Um, Unfortunately, we have run out of time, but please do um, head to the delegate area to continue the conversation. And would you please thank our panel members today? You have been listening to an Acme podcast. For more recordings, go to soundcloud.com slash acmeonline or the Acme website.